Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Welcome to Family God's Way. We're going to talk about being a heart stuck today. Innocence is an interesting word. It's uh, one that we think we start off a lot of our family relationships in, that uh, somehow we are, you know, coming into this kind of perfect experience, and the proof is the beauty of the romantic feelings that uh, start off such uh, relationships. We're going to be talking about all forms of family relationships. Today we will focus a fair bit using marriage as our illustration. But all of these principles transfer over to every family relationship, including families outside of just the nuclear family, the family of God, the family that you have in your community. All of these things are driven by the very same principles and values that make it work. And uh, the starting point is often the point that we trip ourselves up in the most. People really come into a thing like marriage with different expectations than they're about to experience. I don't like marriage getting a bad rap because it is, in my opinion, the best and the most closest intimate human connection that God offers to us. He says, this is my plan. He created the male, female. He allowed them to come together in his plan to become the nucleus of the family as he designed it. It's a beautiful thing. And it's something that is to be celebrated, but it certainly can be hard. Love of all forms can be hard. You know, There are some people who are in marriage and they think it's just a a lot of labor. And I guess maybe it is in many ways. But you gotta be smart in the way that you work it. There was a couple and uh, they were having a little wine together. Um, She says to him, I love you. Or I'm sorry, she just says, I love you. And he says, is that you talking or is that the wine talking? And she says, no, that's me talking to the wine. doesn't always go well. It, it just doesn't always go well. God uses romance in the first phase of bringing a man and woman together to be this nucleus. Romance is a good thing um, until Harlequin gets a hold of it. Then it changes and it morphs. It's really an attraction model and God does this. We're different though, very different, male and female. We're so different. I got hooked on a little series uh, that my wife and I watched, and it's the most hokey series I have ever watched in my whole life, just over the summer months here when I was trying to give my head a break. Well, this certainly went to a whole different zone than I, I never go here. So we watched this entire series. I I believe it was on Netflix. And uh, it was called... When Calls the Heart. How many have watched When Calls the Heart? Are you a hearty? That's what they call followers of this. You know. There are parts of this show that are really quite hokey. 
in the way that it portrays human relationship. But then there are parts that are really heart stirring because it portrays at its core a sense of how human relationship functions on a basis, not just of love as we have defined it romantically, but something much deeper, something that takes on a whole different nature to it. You know, God will use romance to get us together. But we are really from different species in a sense. It just seems that way. And God uses this to make, you know, this romance to kind of make the point, I think, to us that we are certifiably mentally ill. Romance. And then we are so mentally ill, we decide, I'd like to spend my life with you and procreate and all that. And we get together. And then you marry. And you eat the wedding cake. Everything changes. Just changes. I mean, it's just so your best, you put your best foot forward and then the ugly old foot comes right out there behind. And it's not long until you see it there. So I really do suggest that people get really good premarital counseling and do not eat the wedding cake because there's something in that cake. (laughs) It just changes things. The approach changes. People love romance. They just love romance. It, it, they're drawn to it. Uh, men have a shorter window for this, but it's definitely something that draws even on their heart. And uh, they love romance. They're, they're, a lot of people are on all these dating sites, right? And boy, they, they, there's a lot of them like crazy. I have one piece of advice if you use a dating site. If you like someone's picture, ask them to send you a second picture holding up today's date in a newspaper. just so that you get the full on where things might be now because you'll be playing some catch up as you go through. Jesus did speak to this concept, a very strong concept of what we're gonna term grace. You see, there's one thing that human relationships of all sorts, but especially in the family, must function on. There's really only one fuel. There's only one oil. There's only one thing that makes this kind of relationship strong, good, healthy, whole. Because it's going to go through huge challenges. If you study some of the great family names of the scriptures, you find some of the messiest situations possible. You find people where there is murder within the family. You find within the them complete ostracization where a brother is sold into slavery. You find rejection of the deepest forms, all within great names of Scripture. In fact, you're going to find the messiest families you've ever read about when you read the Bible. And you have to ask yourself, why does God put that in? Because when he created us, he didn't create us so it would be that way. He, he, he created us to live in a love that he himself lives in. And yet he's saying, look at what happens when sin and the reality of fallenness of the human heart, what it can produce. Without God, without grace, you are left with law. And what that brings to you is something not so good. Now you are only focused on each other's failures and more than likely missing your own. 
Your view becomes that of where they are letting you down and not hitting the mark and not where you may be doing so. Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, why do you look into the other person's eye to take out the sliver when you're carrying a log in your own? Get the log out of your own first and then maybe you can be of help to another person. You see, he's training us and teaching us that our natural thing in us, by law, is to focus on the shortcomings of others. But if you're going to live in God's kind of family, in his way, and build that kind of family in your homes, the one commodity that can do it, and the only commodity that can do it, is not law. If you raise your children only with correction and not connection, Do you understand how wrong that that is going to turn out? Do you understand that if it's nothing but correction, here's the right thing to do, you're always doing the wrong thing? If their whole thing is weighed up in their own performance, then they feel more disconnected to you than ever because you have qualified their value. God in hand does not do that with us. His love has perfectly established our value and saying, I know your reality. I really know your horrible mistakes. I know the condition of your heart. I know how hard it is. I know how what it's filled with. I know your thoughts. I know how evil those thoughts can be. I recognize that all about you. But he maintains his position of grace towards us that there might be relationship. He doesn't focus on correction alone. He focuses on connection. And connection is the key in any relationship. And only grace produces a connection that can grow It can because it can heal, because it can change. Grace is a commodity that produces the abilities to actually build relationships. Everybody else wants to start off with the innocence thing and then try to preserve their own innocence while they maximize the other person's guilt. That is a sure way to destroy any kind of potential that a relationship can have. And so when we're going to do family God's way, it requires what God has going to bring to a relationship. And the only reason you and I even have a potential for relationship with God is because he put it in us to want it and he availed himself to us through grace that we can connect with him. That is how we build relationship with each other. But if you're going to haul around the past... If you're going to hang on by law to the person's past failures, their mistakes, where they, where they didn't follow through, where they didn't come through, where they really hurt you, if you're going to haul around everything like that, that tells you that you're functioning on this innocence to focusing on where their shortcomings are, the people around you. And your relational world, not just what was is destroyed, but you try and build new connections in any healthy way while you're carrying this kind of model. You know, if you're gonna try and outrun your past, you're gonna be a little bit like uh, this story about this RCMP officer who clocked a semi-tractor truck speeding down the, the QE2. 
The trooper pulls in behind the truck, turns his lights on, the truck just keeps going. In fact, he picks up some speed. The trucker got right, uh, the uh, RCP got right up on his bumper and the truck just keeps tooling down the QE2. The, the, the RCMP turns on his sire and the truck went even faster. The truck finally ran out of gas and uh, so he rolls off to the side of the highway. The, the RCMP got out, walks up to the trucker's window. The, the driver rolls down his window and the RCMP says, did you see my lights? And the trucker said, yes, I saw your lights. Did you see that I was following right on your bumper? He said, yes, sir, I did. Did you hear my siren all these miles? And the trucker said, yes, I did. And then the RCMP said, then why didn't you pull over? And the RCMP said, well, to be honest with you, about two years ago, my wife ran out with an RCMP officer and I thought you were trying to bring her back. He was picking up speed, trying to run away from it all. That's often what we do. And that's, that is the point at which we know there's no grace involved. There is no sense of redemption involved. There's no sense of greater potentials involved. And so today I want to focus on one key scripture uh, with you. And it's a scripture out of the Sermon on the Mount. And it just basically says this. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Everything that you are going to build in a family relationship is going to be first originating in your heart. Your heart is going to actually be in control of what is produced around the table as you sit next to each other in the car. It's going to produce how you walk together. It's going to produce how that communication goes. The heart is that which will control all of those things. The Bible warns us. It says you protect your heart because out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart, it says. You make sure your heart's healthy. You know, can you imagine if you paid an incredible amount of time to the things in your heart on a regular basis and you didn't let stuff, you know, cause you to build up to such a thing. You're trying to run down a highway somewhere away from things. You're hiding out in work. You're hiding out from the, the, the challenges and trying to find, you navigate your way uh, through safety without really applying any kind of potential for the relationships of your life. Your family needs your healthy heart. It needs a heart that can originate new starts, new beginnings. It needs a heart that says, oh no, we're not done here. But we are gonna actually build this. It needs a heart that can look at a new day and new potentials and possibilities. When your heart loses the strength to do that, you've lost what the power of grace is. That scripture is a great scripture. The pure of heart. Happy are those who are pure in heart. Happy relationships. Happiness in the relationships of life. Not because everything's innocent and perfect, but because there's grace. There's this amazing strength 
to be able to push the right buttons, pull the right levers of my own heart, not controlling and manipulating everything around me, but paying attention to what I'm hauling along. Oftentimes what happens is the heart gets stuck in relationships where they still continue to function. A relationship. The relationship continues to function, but the heart just keeps disengaging a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. And we, we think that someday, you know, maybe it will just kind of kick into a different season and blossom a little better. Rather than actually recognizing it's our heart that is shaping the heart of this relationship. And those losses don't just come back to you on their own. They need an intervention on your part, an intervention within your own heart. And so it's really important that we understand that happy are those who are pure in heart. Well, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, pure in heart does not mean it can't be a statement of perfection. In the sense, what it means is purity by cause of the presence and the work of grace and the presence of Christ in our lives. Now, Christians, you are at such an advantage to be happy from the source of a pure heart because he has brought forgiveness to you. He has erased any list that the enemy would use against you. He has placed you already into a position where it is not possible to come under condemnation from, the, from God again. But yet we can still be conduits of condemnation into the relationships that should be the most nurtured by grace in our life. Isn't it interesting that if you want to boil it down to where you're having right now issues uh, in a relationship, more than likely you're going to see a huge contribution not to the actual thing that's happening, but to all the reaction that's going on in you. How your heart is responding to what is just taking place. Whether it's saying, going silent and pulling back and saying, whoa, we'll just let that stir a little while and we'll let that move aside and I'm moving over here and I'll keep moving forward here. No, there is no moving forward in the way that your heart will not also control things over here. So you must understand this incredible opportunity to have a heart that is pure by the grace of God in your life and then you look at your life you're able because you have a pure heart you can look at it and say I want to see if there's imperfections I don't want to hide my imperfections I want to look at those scuffs in my heart I want to look where we just had a rub and somebody just bruised me I want to look at that bruise I want to look at what I'm feeling in there I want it to be something I'm aware of and I deal with so it finds no permanent place You and I know what it's like when it finds permanent places. You and I know what it's like when it starts to take control and the heart starts getting just a little bit harder because it's so easy for us to walk away from the grace. It's so easy for us to step into a law thing, maximize our innocence and maximize the offenses. And we can hide or we can escalate a different way. We can instead outrightly get aggressive and judge and put it all on the other. And we can blame and excuse and we can say, oh my gosh, you know, you have all of these issues and you have to quit all of this. You have to stop all of this. You have to, you have to become this before I can really get close to you and love you. 
Imagine if God said to you, you got to quit everything that you're doing that's hurtful to everybody. You got to quit what's hurtful to me. You got to quit doing all of the stuff that really makes me angry. Don't make me angry and I'll love you. It's not God. Our sin does make him angry, but his anger doesn't turn his heart or his face away from us. There's going to be anger in our family relationships. That's part of the messes. That's going to happen. What you have to be willing to do is have the kind of heart that you can look at, you will look at, you'll be honest about. David said this in the Psalms. He said, search my heart, O God, and see if there be any kind of wicked way in me. So he's going to God and he's, he's going like an open book and saying, you know, right now, Lord, if I'm doing my inventory, I can't find where my heart is really not where it should be. So I need you to show me what kind of attitude is that. I'll tell you what kind of attitude it is. An attitude of purity. He wanted it so bad. He didn't want a heart where that was compromised because he understood that out of that, all of these other relationships are driven. I want to give you three purity tests really quickly. Here's a purity test for all of us. Look at my activities first. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, when it comes to where you're at in your activities, how much of it is just focused on the things of life that aren't going to last? Did you know that the love that you build in your family relationships is something that has an eternal commodity to it? Not, not in some, you know, just an essence. I mean a real eternal value. That love in this world is what matters most to God. That you can achieve love by grace, but if you try to love without grace, there is no love to be had that is going to last. Grace causes love to be enduring. He's saying here, don't. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the best of your heart. Don't waste what your heart was designed for. Why would you take your heart and fill it with the pursuit of treasures? Why would you make that, put that ahead of everything else? Don't you recognize that everything in that category, moths are going to eat it or rust is going to destroy it. Don't you recognize they have no eternal nature. They have no lasting value. They, yeah, you are not going to have in you this happiness. They can't, only a pure heart can bring you happiness in this. Why would you do that? What's a great, great view to start taking is, are my activities, is my best energies, like my best creativity, you know, is my best things going into just like filling the storehouse here? Or am I building my house, my home, my children, my wife, my grandchildren? Second, look at my anxieties. It's a great test. These are all found within the Sermon of the Mount. 
And Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Is, now here's his question. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I'll bet you that you and your wife or you and your husband argue the most about what he just listed. Financial, economic things. Uh, work things, time spent in that pursuit. The things that seem to fill the storehouse, but your happiness quotient isn't going up. On the other side of it, we take a look at it and he's saying, in fact, I'm telling you not to worry about these things. Don't be anxious about these things. And that question, it's a haunting question for you. The older you get, this question will get more haunting for you. How have I really spent my life? And it'll start becoming more obvious whether what you've put it into. When you, as you get older, you'll know whether you have poured love, connection into your family relationships or whether you have poured only correction or you have only poured a view of the things that moths destroy and rust destroy. He's saying here, whatever you worry about, isn't life more than that? What are you anxious about right now? Maybe coming out of COVID, there's a lot of anxiety for you economically, work-wise. Maybe, maybe it has to do with something else in your life where anxiety's just peaked. Maybe it's your health. Wealth. Look, what you want to concentrate on is, is, isn't your life more than what you right now are anxious about? His answer is, I want you to focus on eternity, on heaven, where these things don't corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. I want you to, I want you to connect with your father in this grace that you've got, and I want you to connect with each other in this amazing grace that you stand and can offer to each other. Finally, look at my ambitions. It's another great test for a pure heart. It says in verse 31 to 33 of Matthew 6, so don't worry and don't keep saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? That is what pagans, now look at this, are always looking for. That's ambition. That phrase is ambition. Always looking for this. Everything we think, everything we do, every conversation we have, it's always about getting through today, surviving with these things. And we wonder why happiness is not flourishing. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Set your heart on the kingdom and his goodness and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. Ambitions. That's how you see your future. And it, it, it's, it, I, I can hardly wait until we're, we're at this financial position and then we're going to have this freedom. And I can hardly wait till the kids are in this phase. I can hardly wait until our relationship has more time. I can hardly wait. Un- what, what, what's the waiting about? 
What is really the deepest ambition that's driving you today? If the ambition is something that says, man, I just want to keep building a pure heart that can engage life in the priorities of God and know that this great gift of my wife, my husband, my family, my kids, my generations, my, my, my extended family, I, 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 want, I, I just want those things to be rich. And if they're rich, if I have this flow of love that, that grace keeps healthy and law will never, ever control and destroy because it says, oh, look, at their faults because we always apply the law one way usually. We need to use the provisions of grace. Create a pure heart in me, it says in Psalm 51.10. You got to understand something about how then do you get this kind of heart? What do you do? Well, there's tools God has given you. He's provided them by grace. But we got to talk about a guy that's so well known and his failure so well known and yet his great life so well known that we get a little concept here. And it's King David. I mean, I love King David. I love him because, not because he was just noble and not because he was just like a, a brave kind of guy. He had courage. He had faith. He had, he had a lot going for him. This guy was amazing. But I love him because in his mistakes, in his choices, in his failures, he always chose the provisions of grace. He always went to his God from a basis of trusting God's heart and trusting the grace that was there so that he could have a good heart. He, this psalm is written after he has committed adultery. He has murdered the husband of the wife that he committed adultery with. He has uh, hidden it. And the prophet confronts him. And right away he owns it. And he says, I'm the man. And now in this whole part, he could have just said, wow, you know what? Here's my blame. Here's my excuses. Here's where we should look at. Here's how I protect my power. Here's how I make sure that, you know, I redeem what I can out of this situation. No. No, what did he do? He goes to God with this repentant psalm. If you want to read a gut level one, read this one. But he says here, create a pure heart in me, O God, and put a new and loyal spirit in me. Now God does not in the renovation business. God doesn't come into our hearts and renovate our hearts. He creates new hearts. He says, whether you've had a, where you've had a heart of stone, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, a brand new heart. No, you need to be born again, he said. That's getting a new heart. We always have this power of grace in our life. Here's a man that had walked with God for many years, wrote some of the most beautiful worship psalms, and he wrote them directly from the heart. He, his heart was so in touch with his own faults but with the grace of God. And he looks at the provision of grace and he says, I need to have a new and loyal spirit put in me because I have not been loyal to you and I need, I, I don't, just don't renovate me. I want a whole new heart on this. Create in me a, a whole new heart. 
See, some, some of us are, think that we just need to, we, we kind of have a, a good heart and we just need a few renovation things done. Yeah, Jesus came and died on the cross to renovate a few couple things in your life. You need a brand new heart. That's what the gospel is. It is you have to have the whole new heart transplant. Very, very powerful when we start to understand that. He Later on in the Psalms, he says, you do not want sacrifices or I would offer them. He's saying, you don't want my participation. It's, you're, you're not saying, go and atone for this, what you just did, David. So I'm going to put you in this situation and you need to start atoning for this. This is where you cannot apply grace without this key word, humility. For us to have grace and function in it in a relationship like marriage or family of any type, we need to have this beautiful sense of grace that comes to our humility. It will humble you to say, I am someone who has a messy heart. In this relationship, I'm stuck. We're stuck, I'm stuck. I'm the one that's put my feet in. I'm the one that's hanging on to this. I'm the one that will not trust or release to God. I am the one that will not be obedient to the things that I know God has asked me to do. I am the one that is stuck here. Just like that little video clip where they had to dig the grave for their own innocence. You gotta quit pleading innocence. And you got to start dealing with this and saying, God, I want my family to be a family like yours. I, I want family your way. And God says, my way? Are, you want it my way? Do you know what that means? That means, folks, it's going to be a tough run. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to receive grace. you got to be a giver of grace. You do not want sacrifices or I would offer them. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. My sacrifice is a humble spirit, O God. You will not reject a humble and repentant heart. Repentance is a provision of grace. You could not even repent if you didn't have that as a gift of God. He gives us the gift or the ability to repent. If you've got that today, don't waste it. If today somehow the Spirit of God is stirring up something in you that you know in your marriage or in some family relationship where you are the one that's stuck in the heart and you're holding this and you're reacting rather than actually having God actually do some, some work and healing in your life, you know you're not being humble about it. You're standing back and saying, oh, you don't know what they did. You are in the blame and the excuse. If you're in that kind of situation, then you're in a place where you need to have a return to humility and humbleness and say, God, I need help. I mean real help. I need a new heart. I don't need you to tinker with it, God. I don't need you to fine tune this a little bit. I mean, just would you create in me a clean heart? Now, repentance is a word that has been a little bit, we have to be very cautious with. It, it literally can mean I'm changing my direction or changing my mind. But we think of it just in a mental way. 
And we think, okay, well, that just means if I'm going north, I'm now going to choose and go south. Well, that is the, the essence of actually how the decision is formed. But it's all of you that repents. It's not just your mind that is saying, I was going the wrong way, now I'm going to go the right way. How many times have you tried that and it didn't work? It didn't produce real change in your heart. All you said was, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you did it. What's missing in there? I thought repentance was I just make a decision and I'm not going to do this. No, that is just opening the door to the deeper work of God about changing your way. Because in changing your way, it's not as simple as just a mental ascension to what is right or wrong. It is saying, I need change. My heart needs a new heart. It needs to change. This is accompanied often when our sins become apparent to us and we recognize, oh my gosh, I've been focused on the sliver and I've got a log in my own and we begin to get this mourning and grieving as the revelation of our own sin hits us and how bad it is. I mean, even towards God, when we know he's done so much for us believers, is it not the fact that love should cause our hearts to be torn by mourning and grieving? When we know that we are countermanding what he has asked when we're going against when we know the right way and we even mentally assent to it but our hearts we leave unchanged because we will not humble ourselves to say I need a new heart we don't want to change that deeply do not call what you just experienced repentance then repentance goes to my heart it is where my heart changes it is where it was in charge. It had the reins and it decided I will not open up to this anymore. I'm not going to try again. I'm not going to keep on the road of change. I am not. That is your heart. Guard it. If you want to have family God's way, God's way is grace. It encompasses your own and the other person's weaknesses, bad choices, and you're always looking for the grace expression. And it can take a long time in our hearts of God working grace in us for healing. But the only way to be healed from other people's actions towards you or your own actions is grace. Law will never heal you. So this morning, as we talk about this subject, it applies to every human relationship. You want to do your relational world God's way? The only way God does relationship with you is by grace. Humble yourself and acknowledge it. That's the only way he does it. So who in your life right now as we draw this to a close on just kind of throwing an introduction into this series out there? Who in your life right now are you stuck with? Oh, I'm sorry. I should have said your heart is stuck with them. You can't go forward. It might be in a marriage. It might be a brother, a sister. It might be a, a, a kid. It, it, might, it might be, you know, a, a grandkid or a grandparent. It could be, it might be a parent for you. You I mean, whatever it is, what family relationship that if you got humble about it and were willing to see what's in your eye before you saw the sliver, What's there? 
Are you willing to say, search me, oh God? Here's what I know. If we don't have a steady dose of grace, we're not going to do well because the family unit is where you're going to do the most sinning. You're going to sin against your family more than anybody else in life. Do you know why? You live with them. You're close to them. You see them. You've got long history. And if you have that going on as is normal, then you also must have that grace that's constantly being applied and be, can only happen as you take this humble approach and recognize, I do not need a little renovation here. I remember in one family relationship when I was a very young man, I went through a, a, a huge hit, a huge hit. I knew the moment it happened, that scripture, guard your heart, came to me immediately. You know, it was like, it happened and then bang. Guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. And right from that point on, I was making decisions every day for a long time about guarding my heart and saying, I'm not giving this quarter. It's not going to have a piece of me. And I kept going to God and saying, God, you got to help me forgive and let go. You got to help me give grace here, God. Don't let me ever lose, Lord, this, this heart that's pure towards my family or towards this person. I want to retain this relationship. I want it to be what it was. I want it to be clean again. God, I want you to guard my heart. I need help. I need it. You know, that didn't change in one day. Just because I was aware did not mean I did not have to process this guarding. This guarding went on for about five months. And it finally hit where I had, and I won't share the whole story, but it's quite an amazing story sometime. Where it hit me on an afternoon where I was finally, and it had been a daily exercise, and I felt myself losing ground, losing ground, losing ground, losing ground. I said, oh God, don't let this build no more, no more. It was a Sunday afternoon. Ha, lit. I was playing a record. How many know what a record is? Thank you for those one and a half hands. And a song came on that I'd, I'd always loved. And as that song played, it wasn't the song that did it, but it had been a journey and finally a damn broke and I didn't just shed a few tears there was a sobs that went to the level of the injury in the heart that brought a cleansing that finally lifted the burden of this growing condition and fight in my heart I had to fight for my heart whatever you are in right now you're probably fighting the other person's heart. And you should flip your strategy and fight for your heart. Because it's out of that, that happiness and change and grace can be built and produce something that is beautiful.
The good news is, from that moment on, I was free from that. I was in a position where I could actually function very celebratory with this person and, and, and to really enjoy them again. Whose heart are you fighting for? Fight for yours. Fight for yours. Because happy are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. See God in your relationships. That's how you have family, God's way. We're going to have communion to finish this off today for obvious reasons from this talk. This might be a moment in time, and you can prepare to serve that, please. This might be a moment in time for you as a believer, or maybe you're not even a believer in Jesus Christ. I'll talk to you in just a second. But for you as a believer to express again that you haven't been fighting for your heart. In fact, you have let your heart be that which has turned against you and against the relationships that should matter the most. Confess that condition to God. You confess it from the bottom of your heart that God, this is my condition. I can no longer lay blame across the aisle. I can no longer lay blame to another person. I can no longer make the excuses before you. What excuse would I have when I have received such grace from you? But Lord, I have let these things control my heart. So there has not been healing. There has not been a re-strengthening. The only things I've been able to do is retreat, hide, run, When we come to Christ with that kind of honesty, when we are looking the right direction, that's the honesty. When we get our view back where he says, hang on, will you quit looking at the sliver? Please stop, 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 stop. You're building a log by looking at the sliver. It's getting bigger. Stop. Please. Just for a moment, with the grace I will give you, and with the strength, I'm here for you. Let's look at your heart. Do that this morning, Christian. And respond in your heart to him. And ask him for what you know you need so that you might be healed, that you might be somebody that gets strong again, that your heart is not hiding anymore, that your heart is looking at the right things and able with strength to move in to the best things because your happiness comes from that pure heart. If you're not a believer today in Jesus Christ, you need a new heart just like I needed a new heart. Not a redo. Christianity's not, hey, come and be a better person. It's not what it is. It's not a scale. How are you doing? 
Bible says we're all sinners. We fall far short of the glory of God. We've all lost our innocence. It needs to be buried. We need to say we're sinners. And we need to say, oh God, I got no way out of this situation. I need your way. His way, he sends his son Jesus, pays the price for sin, which is death on the cross. He is raised again to be triumphant over all things and offers you eternal life. Eternal life through the forgiveness of your sin because he purchased it by grace. Grace. And you just have to give a little faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. What do you do? Well, what do you need to do? What do you think? It's just, it, it, what, like we give you a list, go fix this? Well, that's a losing proposition. No, here's what we do. You have to do what I have to do. You have to say, God, wow, I need grace. If you don't bring me grace, I can't connect to you because I'm a sinner. So you admit your sin, you ask for grace. And if God by his spirit has prepped your heart in an honest enough way today, he will connect with you. So let's bow our heads and give you an opportunity on this. You can borrow this prayer. You may want to form something in your own heart towards him that encompasses this humility and humbleness and need. And here's how a prayer like this kind of sounds like. Jesus, man, I am a mess. I do sin. And I'm pulling back the veil of excuses and blame and victimhood and all the junk. I need you. I need a new heart. I want the new heart only you can create in me. So I ask that you would bring to me the mercy, the grace, that you would forgive all my sins. I recognize this is an amazing gift of grace that I'm asking for so that I can have a new heart because the old one is stuck in worshiping me and all the things that are not you. So I give my life to Christ. I ask for this gift of grace and a new heart by receiving Jesus as my Savior and Lord. It's all about what you did for us. It's not about what we do for you, but in our life, Lord, that we'd celebrate that if we'll let you keep doing it because we stay that in that place of humility and we let our hearts be challenged and cleansed and continue to be purified so that, Lord, we might be happy, that we might build good things in life, that we might honor you and honor those that we have the privilege to love in this world. In Christ's name, I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.